do you do for a living, Newman? I'm a United States postal worker. Aren't those the guys that always go crazy and come back with a gun and shoot everybody? Sometimes. Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I am Michael Graham. Thank you so much for tuning in, for getting our daily newsletter at nhjournal.com, and for checking out the news there. Coming up in mere moments, Speaker of the House, Sherm Packard, on how the session wound up in Concord uh, at the end of May and why Republicans seem so grumpy and dejected when it was all over after a lot of successes earlier in the year. And then you may have heard something about the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. Uh, It's got some bipartisan support. It involves regulating U.S. tech companies. Some people say that it, in fact, gives China the upper hand when it comes to tech innovation and also puts your privacy and security in danger. One of the people who believes that is Doug Kelly with American Edge. He's going to join us here on the podcast, talk about that legislation, which, of course, the four members of our delegation will have to address. And I also want to say that all this is possible because so many of you have chosen to go to nhjournal.com and support what we do by making donations. I was going to say writing a check, but nobody writes checks anymore. Doing a click. So if you haven't subscribed to our free newsletter for $4.99 a month, please go to nhjournal.com. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see a little support NH journal button. That's right. Absolutely free newsletter, but you can pay $4.99 a month for it. Such a deal. Uh, one comment before we uh, get to uh, speaker Packard. Uh, it's been a frustrating few days, yet another horrific shooting. This one at a school, this one involving children, the, performance of the uh, the uh, government officials that we pay to protect our families, the, the police, not what we wanted. And there's a lot of talk about why can't we fix this? Why can't we do something? And uh, for example, Senator Maggie Hassan has an email out this week to her constituents saying, we've got to do something. And then she proposes expanded background checks and red flag laws. Well, you can expand background checks. Uh, you can expand red flag laws. Neither of them would have stopped this lawful 18 year old without any criminal record or anything from buying his, the legal guns that he bought. But that's where we end up in this conversation about guns. I just want to point out something. There's a reason why we can't do something about guns. It's because right now in the current political climate, we can't do anything, nothing serious. We just can't do it because the uh, people that we are choosing to have govern us are people who are not in the business of fixing things. They're in the business of fighting over how things got so bad, but why the people that disagree with them are so awful. They want to fight, fight, fight. And that's what we hear. We heard it from people, candidates. Oh my gosh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and President Donald Trump sounded like they were managing boxing matches. Fight, 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 fight. That's their political conversation. But at some point you reach, you know, there's a debate and then you fix something. We're not going to fix America's gun issues. There are more than 400 million guns in the United States, according to some estimates. That's more than the number of American people. We have a unusually violent culture in the United States. We always have. And you want the United States government to fix that? Folks, we can't even fix the post office. The post office is anachronistic leftover from basically the Pony Express 
era. It's the same thing, just with, you know, white metal trucks instead of ponies. We send guys to go door to door to door in the era of email, texting, and TikTok. We're still knocking at the door going, I've got a piece of paper folded up with a stamp on it for Mrs. Johnson. It makes no sense. But just so you know, in the last month or so, we passed a $57 billion package to keep the inefficiency and ludicrousness of the post office going forward. Now, is the post office a big deal? No. Is, you know, is this, is this a crisis? No. My point is, the post office is easy to fix. It's it's a blatantly dumb idea that everyone knows. Six-day-a-week mail delivery? is that The penny. The penny. Why do we have pennies? I mean, once again, I know it's trivial, but does anyone, you know, we still make and distribute pennies, even though pennies cost almost two pennies for us to make. Yet we still do it. Why? Because we can't fix anything. My point isn't to rail about pennies in the post office. My point is, when you have a system that can't solve small, obvious stuff like daylight savings time, we're going to move our clocks in the year 2022? Thanks, President Benjamin Franklin. How can you possibly expect that political system to address something as profound as the mass shootings that we see and all of the things, whether it's gun laws in the Second Amendment or whether it's mental health or whether it's schools or whether it's you know policing, that is a big problem. It's probably not truly fixable in any sense. We can make it better. We can do some things in theory, but we can't do anything because we can't fix anything because our political leaders would rather just fight, fight, fight. And you know why? Because you would rather fight. I would rather fight. The voters... As long as voters reward the fight, 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 extremists out on the edge, put me on cable TV and let me yell, as long as we say that's the kind of leadership we want, then we're not going to fix anything at all. And now, let's go to the State House. So please welcome to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, Speaker of the House, uh, Sherm Packard. Uh, Speaker, how are you today, sir? Uh, I'm fine. We got through yesterday and, uh, you know, uh, we've had probably one of the most successful sessions, I think, that uh, we Republicans have ever had in probably the last hundred years. I mean, so, there's no question we passed the most most conservative budget that, you know, I mean, uh, I think we've ever passed in this House with all we did. Uh, so you're talking about the session as a whole. Uh, yes. There were a lot of forlorn faces on the floor when things wrapped up on the 26th. And I was wondering uh, if you had any thoughts as to kind of where the caucus is today. Well, honestly, I haven't, uh, uh, I haven't talked to anybody today except, um, you know, my deputy speaker, and I, he and I are here just going over things, trying to put everything together. Uh, you know, I mean, I think we're all disappointed that uh, 1431 didn't get passed. But overall, um, you know, we did pass the redistricting and, um, you know, we did pass quite a few other bills yesterday. And, um, you know, I think our overall record is, uh, is, you know, probably one of the most successful overall records of any administration. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes you, you just can't get things across the finish line. And unfortunately, as bad as we tried and as hard as we worked, you know, revitalizing 1431 uh, at the last minute, putting it together, uh, you know, at the last minute and getting it onto the floor. Um, you know, we knew it was going to be a tight vote. Unfortunately, um, 
unfortunately, we lost it. Right. Um, I'm not making any excuses for it, but, uh, you know, we thought we could pull it across the line. And unfortunately, we had some Republicans that just didn't come along with us. So 1431, uh, uh, some people call it the uh, parental rights bill. Parental Democrats tried rights. to call it the New Hampshire don't say gay bill. Um, the, the the fact is, and this is something that uh, is not talked about enough, you have a very narrow Republican majority. And one of the things that people who've been watching state house politics in New Hampshire longer than I have say is it really is when you look at what's happened over the past few years, an astonishing re- uh, uh, number of successes given how small the numbers are that you have to work with at the margins. I, I think, you know, the uh, successes have been, that's, uh, you know, as I started to say, I think, you know, what we've done, uh, you know, our successes have been phenomenal for the size of the body we had. Uh, we looked, I mean, we haven't done a complete deep dive into history, but we did look back and uh, we don't know of any uh, <clears throat> session that had a smaller majority, regardless of who the majority was, mm-hmm. than what we had this term. And for what we did with the majority, the small majority we had, you know, it, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I have nothing but praise for our Republican legislators. Uh, and yet, if uh, you had passed the parental rights bill based on public statements, it's very possible it would have met the fate that the uh, congressional district maps met, which is uh, a veto from Governor Sununu. How would you describe the current relationship between the House Republican Caucus and the uh, corner office? Well, I, uh, I, I, I believe, uh, you know, after he vetoed the mask bill last Friday, um, obviously, we're, we're disappointed. Those were uh, bills that, um, you know, we felt, um, you know, were in, important to, uh, you know, the citizens of New Hampshire. And just so people know, you uh, had a bill that would have said to schools, one of the mitigation uh, tools you cannot use K through 12 is masking. It would have been a state ban on schools masking. And the governor said that should be left to local control. And he vetoed that. Yeah, that was uh, last Friday. Right. Exactly. So you've got that. You've got the he was going to veto the parental rights bill. You've got the redistricting bill. And so some people are asking small state narrow majority purple state you know both teams when they have power they need to stick together there seems to be uh a little bit of space between uh the sununu administration and the republicans in the legislature well i as i said uh you know we're we're disappointed that he chose to uh to veto the mask bill as we call it and we were uh extremely disappointed that uh when we heard he was going to uh, veto the uh, congressional maps that, um, you know, the, the last one that we sent to him. Um, and we certainly were disappointed that he said he was going to veto the parental bill of rights. Um, you know, the, you know, the parental bill of rights uh, basically stated that it's the parents primary job to raise their children, not the school district. And uh, it wasn't anything nefarious or, or, mean or cruel or against teachers it was saying that the the parents are the ones responsible for raising their kids so i um i disagree with you know the fact that some people are saying that uh you know we were um you know putting too much taking away too much from uh teacher student it's the it's it's the parents that are responsible and um it shouldn't be a teacher raising a child 
It should be the parents raising the child with the teacher's help. So the special master released his maps for uh, the, which are almost certainly going to be the maps that the upcoming midterms are held with the only five towns removed about 9,000 people. Uh, I looked at the 2020 and 2016 presidential races and the uh, partisan breakdown is unchanged down to the 10th of the, the percent. So very much in place. If there is a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature next year, should people expect this court drawn map to still be in place? Or do you expect the legislature to do what legislatures do around the country every 10 years and draw a map that was approved by the people elected by the citizens? Well, I am sure that is something we're going to consider, you know, next session. And uh, we perfectly uh, expect to be in uh, in control next uh, mm-hmm. you know, next session. And um, that is obviously something that we will uh, look into and, and discuss. Uh, I was at a county meeting this morning, so I actually haven't had a chance to see the map that the um, master put out. Right. Uh, um, I, I just haven't had a chance to look at it sure. yet. But uh, I, I would say that it obviously that'll be something that'll be on our plate for uh, next session. I really appreciate your time. And I know you've got a lot going on the holiday weekend approaching. I just want to ask one last question, which is if you ha- if you were going to kind of summarize the mission of New Hampshire Republicans in the House this past session, what you were hoping to do big picture, not like individual laws, like what was your big picture goal to, you know, put more power back at the local level was your big picture goal to shrink the power of government was your big picture goal to step up on behalf of parents or t- how would you kind of say what your mission was when you started and and then how far down the field do you think you got well i would say our mission was obviously in no way to increase government uh that's uh i think been the republican uh philosophy for as long as i've been around mm-hmm. uh obviously we wanted to make sure that uh, parents, you know, had as much control over their families and children as um, we believe they should have. Um, <clears throat> and we wanted to do everything we could to uh, reduce, you know, the, the taxes on the citizens in New Hampshire, which we did. And uh, <clears throat> we wanted to make sure that, you know, our schools weren't teaching, um, you know, some type of a uh, critical race theory, sure. where, um, you know, that, you um, was offensive to so many people in the state and we wanted to return power back to the people and i believe we've accomplished all those so how far do we get down to the uh, field i would say that um we might not have scored a touchdown but i would say we're probably on the uh, five yard line of all the things we did accomplish and um and in the if we had a, a, if we were in session a little bit longer, you know, we probably would have scored a touchdown. <laughs> Speaker Sherman Packer, thanks for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you, Michael. So please welcome to the podcast Doug Kelly, CEO of American Edge. Doug, welcome. So glad to have your time. Hey, Michael, glad to be with you. So, uh, give me the big picture on the fight between America and China in the tech space. And why you think that this push in Congress uh, to do what some people are calling tech reform and antitrust regulation, you're calling not that, why you think it's a problem? Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's start with the, just the fundamental premise that technology 
isn't just another sector of our economy, right? It is the very backbone of our national security, of our prosperity, as well as the advancement of our values of free speech, expression, um, and that. And so it's not just, you know, one more thing to be tinkered with. And China is making a very serious run at U.S. technological leadership because their goal is to be the number one superpower by 2035. Now, they're doing that in two ways. They're stealing our technology annually to about the tune of $500 billion a year. But at the same time, they have some serious, significant plans to invest heavily in their capabilities for artificial intelligence, quantum computing, all the technologies of the future that really are going to determine who's going to be the global leader. And so at the end of the day, the view of American Edge is that it really matters which country builds the future. It matters what the values that they have. It matters how they treat their citizens. And it matters whether they're democracy or an autocracy. And so we want to make sure that legislation come out of Washington helps increase American innovation and doesn't hand our innovation edge over to China. So advocates of the legislation say that what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, uh, act based on the way that large tech companies like, you know, Google, Facebook, et cetera, treat other American companies. They say that what you're doing is a red herring. What's, what's your response to that? Well, America has always been about competition, right? And our antitrust standard is how does it impact the consumer overall? That's really at the end of the day how we boil it down. These new bills are really focused on how do we protect specific competitors in the process? They may be less efficient. They may have higher costs. They may not be as effective, but these bills want to protect those competitors. And at the end of the day, it would turn kind of where our antitrust uh, policy has been over the last 50 years, really upside down on its head. Um, but in reality, this consumer standard works. It's led to the U.S. being number one in innovation. It's led us to an amazing standard of liberty of living. And it has also really forced innovation to happen quicker and faster because these companies battle it out. There's a lot of competition uh, among even the biggest technology companies. So I just, I just don't agree with their premise. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm from Michigan. And at one time in the 80s and before then, we were in the manufacturing envy of the world. And Congress passed a series of laws that had unintended consequences that shifted 5 million jobs, um, that, that made 5 million manufacturing jobs disappear. Many of them went over to China. New Hampshire lost 34,000 of those manufacturing jobs. There's a series of unintended consequences that can have happen in election year legislation when people rush to pass things. That's what happened with World Trade Organization when they let China in it. So our concern is that Congress's election year push right now on the most important sector of our country is going to have a lot of unintended consequences that they haven't really looked at yet. I'm always fascinated by the argument that Congress has to step in because these behemoths like Amazon, Google, Facebook, et cetera, are just so big that there's nothing, you know, there's no way the competition can really affect them. They're too big. And whenever I hear that, I always ask people, so guess what percentage of iPad users voted for Barack Obama the first time he ran? 
and they say, well, I don't know, whatever, 10%, 50%, 80%, none. There, there was no iPad. In 2008, <laughs> the iPad was not commercially available. In 2012, it was one of the key tools that the Romney campaign screwed up as mm. part of their effort yeah. because they had that terrible computer. But my point was, by in four years, it went from non-existent to ubiquitous. This is the change that happens in the tech mm -hmm. side, even for big companies like Apple, uh, Twitter, Monster, Behemoth, never going to change. They're always going to have their biases. Some people think they're biased against the right, et cetera. And now look what's happened. It's a completely different conversation. That's And that's why I just wonder, why is it that we can see that change is happening all around us so fast? And yet the theory seems to be, yeah, but you know, Facebook, Google, Amazon, they're bigger than that change. It's, it's not going to affect them. Well, I'm uh, of the age, I'm 57, right? So I remember when MySpace and AOL were the giants, <laughs> right? How could anybody possibly beat AOL? Well, a whole bunch of entities came by. You know, by you say that, but I have three family members who still have AOL email addresses, which I think <laughs> Wow, they, they, they can put them in the Smithsonian I, Museum. I, right? I, I think they're converting to Amish while I'm not looking or something, I'm guessing. Well, so that's the thing. I mean, in technology, uh, there's there's super fast life cycles of creation and development. And whichever organ, whichever company creates the next big thing, man, people flock to it because people love technology. It is ubiquitous in in every part of our life. But at the same time, uh, China is really pushing hard to be the global tech leader. It's that simple. Um, and so why in the world would Congress hand over uh, an advantage to China in an area that right now we have the lead on, but China is gaining quickly? Why in the world would they do that? It, well, it just throw, doesn't make sense to me. Well, I want to throw in one quick other mm -hmm. quick example that's yeah. fresh as today's headline, and that is Instagram and TikTok. You know, Instagram was the bomb. And, and I didn't join Instagram because I didn't want to give Facebook my information. And then they had TikTok. And I said, no, no, no. I want to give my information directly to the Chinese Communist Party. This is, I like this much faster. Just boom, straight from my phone right to Beijing. I'm obviously joking. But uh, I mean, I, I, I loathe TikTok and it bothers me that it is where it is. And yet you can't even have that conversation, um, you know, uh, in a lot of circles because they, you know, they, they don't want to have it. And I'm going, well, well what then is the right way for government to balance the interests of thriving businesses that are providing products that people literally don't have to pay for. I mean, think about it, pay for Facebook, Google, people, you know, traditionally, like you said earlier, the conversation about uh, monopolies was price. Well, when the price is zero, that conversation, you know, is over. Right. It's all free or mm -hmm. it's a different kind of exchange. Um, how do you balance though concerns about individual liberty, protecting uh, personal information and people who want to do business on the internet who have been using platforms like the large platforms as in essence, a common carrier, whether it is or not, and still protect the ability for innovators who are in these large companies to use that critical mass they have to bring us to the next, uh, next generation. How do you balance those? Yeah. For me, I would just say that, look, every new technology uh, causes pain points where it intersects society and politics, rather it was the radio, the bicycle, the car, uh, and computers, right? That these, every new technology causes that friction point. And there are definitely things that Congress can do 
to mitigate some of those pain points without either tearing apart the companies or restricting the lines of business or handing the edge over to China. One of which is they could pass a federal privacy policy so people know what happened with their data and they know what restrictions there are. And companies have then a clearer idea of what the rules are. Right now, different states are passing different privacy legislations. And boy, you know, if you're running a, a global company and now you have to deal with 50 different state privacy policies, uh, some of which are, you know, uh, very reasonable, others which are incredibly onerous, like that's hard to do. And so you spend millions of dollars both managing and complying with that, but also litigating on that. That doesn't make sense. That's not the way we're going to become more innovative. I'd say the second thing that Congress can do is really invest in our ability to innovate. So there's a big shift in people's mindset, right? More and more people want electric cars. Right. But there's three things that have to happen for us to dominate the electric car market globally, right? We have to make more microchips. Yeah. We have to have a better supply of rare earth metals. Right. And we have to integrate our largest tech companies in with our largest automobile manufacturers because they're the ones who actually have experience in building that software and technology related experience that people now want in their electric vehicles. Some of these bills in Congress would slow down our ability to do those things. So strategically, it doesn't make sense to do those things when we're again in a global battle with other countries and other companies right. for global leadership. So there's reasonable steps that they can do in Congress that will ease some of these pain points without completely upending the industry and hurting our country strategically. Uh, one last question for you, which is uh, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act is the bill we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the advocates for it uh, say that uh, you can invest in the kind of raw science, basic science that we need to promote AI development in the U.S. and other tech. And yet you, you can still uh, put restrictions on what the larger companies in the U.S. can do when it comes to how they treat people who are doing business on their platforms. What's your argument when they make that case? Well, I'd, I'd say a couple things to that. Um, first is people generally don't want to hand an advantage over to China. Mm -hmm. um, and this bill allows people's data to be shared with Chinese companies, which can then get to the Chinese Communist Party. That doesn't make sense. It also then opens up some of the platforms uh, in their uh, software to foreign competitors. That, that, that just doesn't, that's just not the right way to go. Um, the second thing is, is this bill will be inflationary. The number one concern on people's mind right now are higher prices. Um, and this bill will eliminate things like free shipping, uh, banning inex inexpensive private labels. Let me, let me interrupt you right the there. That's thing that people need. Yeah, I want to interrupt you. So why does the bill do that? Because that's another argument that people say, oh, that's a, that's a red herring. It's, it doesn't say anything in the bill at all about free shipping. Well, right. But when they talk about self-preferencing, that's what that's about, right? So if anybody who goes to a Costco or a Kmart or whatever your supermarket is, right, they have generic brands that the store sells, right? That's a little bit of what Amazon is doing with its basics package. Sure. Um, and so uh, the bill wouldn't says, look, you can't put 
your, you can't preference your product on your own platform uh, next to another product from a competitor. Right. Now, every single supermarket does that. Mm-hmm. Every other type of discounter does that. Sure. Um, and it, what it does at the end of the day is gives consumers the very best possible value. So when I say it's inflationary, it's going to raise prices. If you're not able to do that, then yeah, people will still be able to use these tools to buy things, but will you be getting the best price? I don't know. You're going to have to really dig harder. Um, And so for me, these tools were built based on people's preferences and things that they like, and they like the recommendations and that. Um, Why should we take steps back on our technology development and do things that set us back as a country um, overall? So for me, when I look at, I think Congress always feels like there's a need to do something. There's a need to do something, especially, you know, kind of the extremes of both parties when they're frustrated with technology um, for either, either quote unquote censorship or quote unquote, having too much content on there that they need to be restricted. Well, none of these bills actually solves those problems. So yeah, I understand the need to feel that they want to do something, but these are not the right things to do. All I got to say is if you want to see pitchforks and torches at the Capitol, tell my wife and the other female members of my family that the free shipping uh, at Amazon is going to end. And they, they will, you think you've seen a revolution. That's how you start a revolution. But you don't, you're making a great point, right? So there's in New Hampshire, there's 137 small businesses, right? They employ half the people in New Hampshire. Each of these businesses uses some piece of technology, whether it's a Facebook website, whether it's Amazon for shipping, delivery and products, right? Whether it's Google for search and uh, ad placement, they all use these things and they're incredible values for these people to be able to find new customers, find new markets and then move product. These bills, it will increase the cost for these small businesses who are the backbone of our economy. And again, like when I talk about unintended consequences, whether it's benefiting China, whether it's hurting our small businesses in New Hampshire, or whether it's just slowing down our ability to innovate, that, that's just reckless. We, we know what happened when we did this to manufacturing. We know the pain it caused in communities. We know the job losses they created. And we know how communities are still struggling to overcome that. We should not do that with technology, which isn't just a sector. It runs through everything. So that's that's our concern on this. And people can't shake it off, right? Some of the advocates for these bills dismiss that with a wave of the hand. But you know what? They haven't had a single hearing on the national security impacts of these bills. Not a single hearing. Why is that? It's a good no question. It's answer. a question. To, well, I mean, we have a Senator Gene uh, Shaheen, who's very involved in U.S. foreign policy. It's one of the care areas she's in. Mm-hmm. Senator Maggie Hassan is on the Department of Homeland Se- the, uh, the uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee. So perhaps those are good questions to ask them. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we want to get the right policy in this country, but we don't want rush reactive policy in an election year. That's the worst kind. It always has bad consequences. <laughs> and voters are the ones that end up bearing the consequences. So... You know, we're we're raising cautions on this because these bills will have that effect. And let's make sure we hear everything on these things before we move forward. There's too much at stake. It matters which country builds the future. Doug Kelly with American Edge. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Michael, thanks so much. Have a great weekend.
Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.